Well, you know what this means, right? It's me again. Oh, well. What can I tell you? Three and a half years ago, on December 31st, 2017. You guys hear me okay? Yeah, I can't hear me, so if I say something stupid, just go like this and I'll... I'll. December 31st, 2017, two and a half years ago, um, I retired from the church I was pastoring in Alcaloma. I had talked to them, to my elders, and about this time in 2017, about August, first part of September, that I was planning to retire. And uh, end of the year was my target. If they wanted me to stay on my birthday in March, I was good with that. It was their call. And so December 31st, uh, the church threw a retirement party for me after the morning service. And it, it, was, it was just an amazing, amazing time. A lot of expressions of love and appreciation. And uh, They gave me gifts, which were really, really cool. And among the gifts they gave me were some t-shirts. And uh, so I brought, I brought those t-shirts this morning uh, because these are very special t-shirts to me. Uh, this one says, retired under new management. Uh, see my spouse for details. <laughs> so that, that was kind of the beginning of my, my retirement thing. And, and then this was one of my favorite t-shirts that says, yes, I do have a retirement plan. I plan on cycling. I should hear a bunch of amens to that, but oh well. Uh, some of my fellow cyclists in the room. And then my buddy Bob up in uh, Sacramento, he, uh, in his business, one of the things he does is t-shirts. And uh, Bob made several t-shirts for me like this that say, cycling is my full-time job. I'm retired. Apparently not anymore. So... My wife and I, early on in this whole process of transition three years ago, two and a half years ago, chose to use the word repurposed. There, rather than being retired, we believe God was repurposing us. And I didn't know all that that meant. Part of what that meant for me was an attempt to ride my bike across country and, and raise some money for Water for Good. Um, God blessed the fundraising part. He blessed all of it, really, in spite of the fact that nine days after I started, I was in the emergency room in Roanoke, Virginia, and came home. But that was part of God's purpose for my being repurposed. When I came home, there were several obvious things that I don't have time to share with you fully that God wanted me to be doing in repurposing me. One of those things that God called me to do, though, was to be here. And in the providence of God, uh, I was invited to come and preach and fill in during that time of transition uh, as we were waiting for Pastor Rick to come. And so my, my, my privilege, my joy, my opportunity was to be here and, and to be part of this church family. And so this continues my repurposing, right? And so here we are, and I, I don't know what lies ahead. But what I'm convinced of this morning is one thing. And what I'm convinced of this morning is that God is calling us to adventure with Him. That we're going to be on an adventure for the next several months. Are you ready for some adventure? Now, I don't know what comes into your mind when you hear the word adventure. But what? I mean, who said that? I do. Who said that? So what comes into your mind when you hear the word adventure? Give me some words. 
Something that's out of the ordinary. What else do you think of when you think of the word adventure? A challenge. That's good. I like that word. What else do you think of? Something new. So, for me, when I think of adventure, the, the first two words that, that come to my mind is fun. Adventures are supposed to be fun. Adventures are going to be exciting. Those are the two words that come into my mind. And then I made the mistake uh, last week as I've been thinking about this idea of adventure. I made the mistake of going to the dictionary and looking at the dictionary definition. And the dictionary definitions of adventure use words like hazardous, dangerous, risky, unknown, uncertain. Now, do those words fill your heart and mind with joy or a little stress? Both. Good man. That's an excellent answer. Both. Because this adventure we're going to go on together over the next many months, um, I'm hopeful will be exciting. I'm hoping that it'll bring some joy into our lives. But one of the things I'm convinced of is that there's going to be some hazards along the way. There's going to be some challenges along the way. Can we assume that from the get-go? Now, you're going to have to deal with the fact that cycling is a big part of my life. Cycling is a big part of what gives me joy. It helps me deal with stress. It does all kinds of good stuff for me physically. It contributed to a 50-pound weight loss four or five years ago. Um, I love to ride my bike. But one of the things I've discovered is that when I go on bike rides, we tend to go on real familiar paths and do familiar rides. And every once in a while, my friends that are with me, I'll, I'll kind of say to them, let's do something different today. Are you up for an adventure? And when I ask them, are you up for an adventure? The answer I'm hoping for is yes. Let's go. And we're going to go explore. We're going to go down new streets. We're going to do something different. But there's always the possibility of hazards. And I don't have time to tell you about the hazards that I've experienced. Uh, my wife would be stressed if I recounted them all. Uh, she doesn't know about all of my bike crashes. But believe it or not, here I am planning over the last two weeks to focus this idea of adventure. Studying about adventure, looking in the scriptures, coming to this idea that adventures can be hazardous, dangerous. And so yesterday, I'm on a bike ride with three of my friends. And uh, for those of you who know the lay of the land, we rode from Whittier over to the Rio Hondo River Trail, down, joined the L.A. River Trail to Long Beach, across Long Beach, back up the 605 River Trail. And so we were coming north, right here by the church, on the 605 River Trail. And uh, we kind of formed a four-man pace line. I was in front, three of my friends behind me. And we're traveling at, what's a pretty good clip on a bicycle? According to my bike computer, I was doing about 18.2 miles an hour. They were behind me. And any of you familiar with the bike trail right here at Foster Road? So at the end of Foster Road, if you're not real clear, there's a ramp that goes up onto the San Gabriel River bike trail. And at that opening in the fence, on the opposite side of the trail is a bridge that goes across the river. Uh, it's a, normally a footbridge for people to get across from each side of the river. Uh, people ride bicycles across the skateboards. There. It's just a, a pathway over a little bridge. So I'm coming north. 
18.2 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, I see out of my, my eye, peripheral vision, this guy on a BMX bike come flying off of that bridge. Full speed. His intention, I think, was to come off of the bridge and go through the opening down onto the ramp. He came off of that bridge, full speed. I screamed and hit him. And I went flying. Came out of my bicycle cleats and flew over him. My three buddies behind me, thankfully, how it happened I can't imagine, because they should have piled into us. And none of them fell down, none of them got hurt. Um, it can be hazardous on an adventure. You know, and thankfully, uh, nothing's broken. I had a headache for a while. I've got my elbow bruised up. i got a big contusion on my hip. My shoulder hurts. I've got back and neck pain. You pray for me. I'm in terrible, terrible shape. Adventures can be hazardous. Fun, exciting, new. But there's dangers along the way. So you and I are being called by God to go on an adventure together. We don't know what lies ahead. We're not certain. There's things that are happening. Uh, We're in the process of putting together a search committee. Uh, We're about 90% there. We're waiting for an answer from a couple of people yet, I think. Uh, Tim Lansing has agreed to chair that committee and lead us, and so uh, he'll be chairing that committee going forward. And so there's some adventure ahead, and it's going to be fun. Right? Well, that enthusiasm was lacking. So we're going to go on an adventure, and I started thinking, so if I were to look in my Bible for people on adventure, where would I start? No, the Bible's full of adventure. When you think of the Bible now, and you think of the word adventure, any names come to your mind of of people that were on adventures, if you will? Moses comes quickly to mind. You know, 40 years in the wilderness, the whole Pharaoh story. Yeah, that was quite an adventure. Who else comes to mind? Jonah. Jonah. That didn't occur to me. Jonah had quite an adventure, didn't he? Uh, Wasn't one he planned and anticipated? And, you know, that's that's a great, Jonah's a great answer. I got to add that to my list. Who else comes to mind? Noah. There's an adventure for you. So had it ever rained before? No. And so God tells him to build this boat. It's going to rain. And if I was Noah, my first question would have been what? What's raining? So Noah on an adventure. Wow, with his family. Who else comes to mind? Paul and Barnabas, you know, missionary journeys and getting stoned and left for dead and all, you know, all those things. Um, there, there is no shortage of adventure in your Bible. No shortage of adventure. And if you start thinking about all those names you just named, uh, there was some excitement along the way, but was there any risk? Was there any danger? Any hazards? Yeah. And so, adventure is kind of a double-sided thing. And I'm sure someone yelled the name Joshua. I probably didn't hear it, but I'm sure it was in the mix out there. Because when I think of adventure, Joshua is the guy that comes to my mind. And so I want you to come with me this morning to Joshua chapter 1. A phenomenal chapter in our Bibles. Because it's a time of... Transition. It's a time of change. 
It's a change in uh, leadership. It's in some ways a change, a little bit of a change in, in the mission. Moses has gotten them to where they are on the side of the Jordan River, ready to cross into the land. Uh, Moses has died, which is where this chapter starts. Uh, it's fun to go back and read the last chapter of Deuteronomy and, and read about Moses' death. As God takes Moses and shows him the entirety of the land. And then reminds him again, you're not going in. And uh, Moses dies. God buries him. And we turn the page. And it came about, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that as we think about adventure and we look at the example of Joshua, there's three big thoughts here, and I, there's no way I'm going to get to all three of this, but I want you to see this in this passage, that for Joshua and for the people of God, it was first of all a time of change. Secondly, it's a time of challenge. Go in and take the land. And thirdly, it's a time of choice. A time of change, a time of challenge, and a time of choice. And I want you to think with me for just a moment. Because it's a time of change. It was a time of change for Joshua. It was a time of change for the people of God. Things were going to be different. Now, you responded well to my question about the word adventure. How many of you love change? How many of you just would thrive on change? When things change, you just get excited, you're thrilled. Yeah, I see nobody going, yep, that's me, I'm all over that. How do most of us respond to change? What's that? Very poorly. We don't like change. We resist change. When change is brought into our lives, we don't like it. Is that fair? That's fair. For most of us, maybe all of us, change is difficult. We don't deal with it well. It's hard. It's unexpected. It's not what we wanted. It's not what we anticipated. We don't like 
change. Churches are like that, by the way, because churches are comprised of people. And it's comprised of people who don't like change. And so change is always an awkward and difficult time. And maybe some of you this morning are feeling a little bit of that awkwardness. And you're sensing that in our time of change. This isn't what we plan for. Certainly not what I plan for. It isn't what we expected. It's not what we anticipated. And some of us perhaps are struggling this morning with change. And how do I deal with this change? What should my response be to this change? What's going to be different? And we struggle with change. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe there's a sense of of, of fear of what's going to be different? What's going to change? This Roy guy, what, you know, oh man, how long is he going to be here? Um, I don't know where you are. I'd love to know where you are. I'd I'd love to hear from you. I really would. In the bulletin, I put my phone number, my email address. Feel free to call me, text me, uh, email. Um, It's also in the church directory if you have a copy of that. Um, I I put it there for a reason. I want to hear from you. Um, If you have challenges and struggles with this time of change, talk to me. Um, I do too, okay? I'm, I'm in that boat. Change is hard. Change has always been hard for churches. Uh, it's often been said of churches that their motto is, we've never done it that way before. Their second motto was, their second motto has always been, we've always done it this way. And churches are a lot like that because people are a lot like that. We've always done it this way. Have you ever said those words? We've always done it this way. And um, one of the things you're going to learn about me is I'm kind of a contrarian. Um, I, I kind of always wind up doing things that are the opposite of what other people do and what other people oftentimes think is the way to go. I've often said, if everybody else is going this way, I'm going this way. It, it just seems like I'm, I'm always a little... I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's a little bit of who I am. Um, I, I'm just a little contrary sometimes. My wife probably bear testimony to that. Change is hard. Change is hard for churches. By the way, I think, my opinion, I think that's one of the reasons why the average pastor in America, not just now, but historically, it's no different today than it was 50 years ago. The average pastor in America moves from one church to another every three years. And oftentimes I think part of the part of what happens for many, many pastors is the anticipation of people wanting to change and do things differently. And a pastor has a desire, a plan, a whatever, a vision of where he wants to go, and the expectation is that's going to change quickly. And it's not going to happen, right? Not going to happen. And so that's oftentimes what contributes. There's other factors that contribute to that statistic. But I want you to know it's not unusual for us to be where we are today. It's very, very common for pastors to move in that kind of three-year window of time. Change is difficult. And you may not... I don't expect you to understand this when I say what I'm going to say next, but... um, this, this thing of being a pastor is not easy. It's not easy. 
Um, it can be incredibly difficult. It can be incredibly hard. You know, I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said, you can please all the people some of the time, some of the people all the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. And so you wind up as a pastor with a congregation of 50 people, 4,000, it doesn't matter. Um, you're, you're always in that balance. Being a pastor is difficult. By the way, I've always said the two most difficult jobs in the church are being the pastor's wife and being the church secretary. Those are the two hardest jobs in the church. And I'm grateful this morning that God in His infinite wisdom sent us someone to serve as our church secretary going forward who has more than 20 years of experience as a church secretary who I have personally known for 20 years because she was a former secretary to my friend Richard Todd at our church in Whittier. And in the providence and plan of God, two years ago, I think, God brought a woman who I've known for 20 years as Aurelia to our church. And I got here and I heard people talking about this person named Lulu and I never put it together until just a few months ago. And uh, so if I call you Aurelia, you'll understand Lulu. But uh, I'm still not used to the whole Lulu thing, but that's okay. But uh, Lulu has agreed to come on board to, to help me and to help our church. And I could not be more excited. But I say all of this to say this is a time of transition and change. Pray for Lulu. Because she has to put up with me. And she comes... My, my good friend Richard Todd just hasn't figured out that Apple is not the only thing on the planet. But Lulu has lived in the Apple computer world the whole time she was with Richard. And she comes here and we have it figured out. We have it squared away. We have PCs, not Apple computers. So pray for her, because this is a time of transi transition and change for Lulu, right? But I'm grateful. Change is hard. Change is hard for churches. I read this week, maybe you did too, the story of a young pastor's wife who committed suicide. She went missing for several days. They went looking for her. They had a, final, a last ping of her cell phone that gave them a generalized area. But when they found her, she had left a note behind. Anyone else read this story? Is this all brand new news to you? When they found her, we found a note that she left behind that she'd written that had one sentence on it. what she had written was, I hate being a pastor's wife. You know, my, my wife would tell you if she was here, I don't, I think this is not true, but this is what she would tell you. She would tell you that the first time we met, that I said to her, my name is Roy, I'm going to be a pastor. But with that in mind, she's known from day one what lay ahead, right? And so she's been this pastor's wife for almost 50 Well, she's been my wife for 50 years and 
32 days. Um, What I'm trying to share with you this morning is change is hard. Change is difficult. And I'm not expecting there to be all kinds of struggle and challenges ahead. But I want you to understand that change is where God is taking us. And we all understand that. I'm not telling you anything new, I hope, right? Change. And I, I open my Bible and I read about poor Joshua. And I think, man... Can you imagine for a minute what it was like to be Joshua? Joshua has been kind of number two to Moses is number one, right? Joshua was the general guy. He was the guy who took the troops and led them. But he was number two. Moses was number one. Moses was the top dog. He was in charge. And so everything that Mo- everything that Joshua did came from Moses, thank you. So whatever was done, Moses was communicating to Joshua, and God was communicating to Moses, if you will. And so Moses was in that role of kind of a mentor to Joshua. He was the leader. He was in charge. And now he's gone. Now, if you were Joshua, and God said to you, Moses, my servant is dead. Arise and go into the land. What was your first thought be? Oh, Lord. How did I get myself into this spot? Think about who Joshua is following. What do you know about Moses? Was Moses just your ordinary guy? Got up every morning, got dressed, ate breakfast, went to work, did his job, came home. What, what do you know about Moses? He's the guy... He's the guy that went into Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. He's the guy that God used to bring those ten plagues on Egypt. Pharaoh finally let the people go. That's Moses. How would you like to follow that guy? Miraculous, supernatural events against the whole nation of Egypt. How would you like to follow that guy? I didn't end there. Moses is the guy who stood on the edge of the Red Sea with Pharaoh and his troops coming behind him. Moses is the guy that stood on the edge of the Red Sea and held out his staff at God's command. And what happened? I'd like to follow the guy that did that. Huh? Moses is the guy when they were in the wilderness and they didn't have any food and they were hungry and everybody's whining and complaining. Moses is the guy that God used to do what? Bring the manna. Every morning. Six days a week, every morning. This is better than the Helmut Bakery truck. Oh, some of you are too young to get that. But, you know, back when I was a kid in the 50s, the Helmut Bakery truck came to the neighborhood every day. They had the best... Best glazed donuts on the planet. You know? Moses was like the Helm's bakery dude. Only the food was free. And God provided manna. Then they're out of water. They're thirsty. They haven't got nothing to drink. What does God tell Moses to do? Just just talk to the rock. He'll get water. So, Joshua is following Moses. And if you were to ask any Jew today who the most significant 
member of the Jewish Hebrew history who the most significant person is, the answer you're going to get is Moses. Joshua's following him. That just kind of staggers my mind. Staggers my mind. I'm grateful that uh, Rick never produced manna or water from rocks and stuff, and so I'm not quite as intimidated. But you know, Rick is a great guy. I love Rick and Brenda. I miss them already, and they're not even in Philly yet. You know, Rick has a great sense of humor. He rides bicycles. You know, he's got more energy up here when he preaches than any four or five of us could create together. It's always hard following somebody that's loved and admired and respected. and You know, it, it's always hard. And for Joshua, he's following the guy who was not only all of that, but was his mentor. Had a significant role in his life. And I think, here's poor Joshua. Of all the people on the planet, he gets to follow the number one Jew of all history. Moses. I just think... Wow. So, think about what that meant for the children of Israel. And not only was a change for for Joshua, who's now the leader, it was a change for the people of God. It was a major change for them. They've been following who? Moses. And who's he? The most significant person in all of Jewish history. And the people of God have been following Moses. And now God takes Moses away and stands up Joshua. I don't know how old he was. He was significantly younger than Moses, I think. Moses at his death was 120. So Joshua was a kid compared to that, right? But the people of God were expected to just kind of go, Oh, okay, here's Joshua. Let's go. That doesn't always happen. That's not the easiest thing to, to do. I'm struggling up here to know what to not tell you. But sharing this story that just came to my mind, you know, God does this. I don't know if He does this for everybody who preaches, but I'm up here and I'm talking and in the back of my head are things that I haven't given thought to in my planning and preparation. And I'm wondering, is that Roy or is that the Lord? Or, you know, what is that? But... I remember well when I went to Sacramento. I had been privileged to be the number two guy in Long Beach, at our church in Long Beach at the time in the 1970s. Um, I had grown up in the church. I was born. I was there nine months before I was born. Um, I was in the cradle roll, and at the age of 21, was asked to take over the junior high ministry. And for the next nine years, I was on the pastoral staff part-time for a few years, and then full-time. And the last two years I was there, I was in a role as kind of the executive pastor. You know what that means? Kind of administering the staff and leading the ministries. Dave Hawking got to preach. As he said to me one day when we were walking across the street to go to lunch, he says, you know, Roy, you're really the pastor here. I just get to preach. Um, 
But I, I had that privilege of being in that, that number two spot to a man that I love and admire to this day. Um, you know, Dave Hockey was and continues to be just a great influence for God's kingdom. And, and I was privileged to serve with him and, and under his mentorship and leadership. But in the providence of God, he drug me away to Sacramento. And now I'm no longer number two. I'm... I'm number one. I'm the, I'm the guy they're looking to. I'm, I'm in charge. And Ed keeps saying I'm the new sheriff in town. Uh, there's something about that I don't like. I'll have to ponder on that a little bit. But I, I remember early in my ministry in Sacramento, I was trying to get the church moving forward, some direction, some, some anticipation of what God wanted to accomplish there. And I remember an annual business meeting where I was kind of laying out some thoughts and plans for the coming year. And I was getting some pushback. Not big, you know, not angry, not hostile, just questions that were kind of pushing back. And over here on this side of the room, this gal stands up to speak, and I thought, oh no. What in the world is she going to say? This gal had all kinds of emotional challenges, emotional difficulties. She, she didn't strike me as being the most stable person in the congregation. Loved Jesus and was serving in the children's ministry, but just that, that instability made me nervous. And, and, and Chris stood up, and I called on her to speak, and Chris said this. She said, I don't understand. When we asked Roy to come here and be our pastor, we said we wanted him to be our Joshua and lead us into the land. Why don't we want to follow him? And she sat down. Everything changed from that moment on. Everything changed. It's hard. Change is hard. And I'm not looking for one of you to stand up and do that. Don't get, don't get nervous. Um, but change... It's difficult and change is hard. It's going to be changes for you and there's going to be changes for me. I want to talk about me for a minute. I had Don put a clock up here, but I'm behind me. So I don't know what time I started, so I don't know how long I've been talking. I, I hope I don't talk as long as those seven people last week who each took 34 minutes. Um, but I have so much I want to share with you, and I'm not going to get to it all this morning. I know that. Um, but I, I want to talk about me in this time of change and transition. Understand this thing about me. I want to go ride my bike. Um, this is an interesting place to be. It really is. Um, it, 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 it doesn't feel strange because I've been here for over, over two years. Um, but now I'm, I'm, I'm not just encouraging Rick and mentoring him and riding on the bike with him and eating lunch with him and having conversations about the church and work. I'm, I'm not doing that. Now, now, now they're asking me to be the new Joshua. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm trying to sort through that a lot. Um, I've been asked three questions over the last two or three weeks. And probably more of you have these questions in your mind. And if you don't, forgive me, but I feel like I need to address these three questions. Um, the first question I've been asked is my favorite one. It says, so what do we call you? 
What do you mean when you call me? Well, are you the interim pastor? And what does that what does that mean? And one of our elders who shall remain unnamed, who has a birthday this week. Um, <laughs> One of our elders refuses to say the I word. And uh, he, he has told me at least three times in the more, I've lost track. He says, you're not just the interim pastor, you're our pastor. Okay, thank you, I appreciate that. Uh, but I, I'm not planning to be here until the rapture, okay? Understand that. What's that? Well, you don't know, it might happen right now, right? <laughs> Would that be a huge answer to prayer, Tom, or what? <laughs> thank you, Lord. Here we go. So, I've been called lots of things in the last 70 years. Um, Some of them I don't want to repeat because I don't want to hear them again. Uh, My good friend Paul Hoffman gave me a nickname when I was in junior high and we were in Boys Brigade at the church in Long Beach. And thankfully that name died out several years later and there's only a few people who know it. Even though, if Paul's listening, I use it it as a password on my computer sometimes. (laughs) But I've been called lots of things. Um, Pastor Roy works. Um, I noticed that there's kind of a pattern here in our church where someone is Mr. Tim, someone is Miss Brenda. So we, you know, if you want to call me Mr. Roy, that's fine. Um, uh, I've been called Dr. Roy a lot. Some of the circles I travel in um, that I don't have time to talk about. But in those circles, I'm often called Dr. Roy. Uh, one of my elders in Alta Loma always liked to call me Doc. That was kind of Carlos and me. That was kind of our thing. Uh, but. Roy is really a good name. Roy, who said that? Was that Ed again? Man. So, Roy, I, I, I love the meaning of names. I'm going to find out the meaning of Ed. Uh, but I love the meaning of names. And Roy means king. Just telling you. So, what do you think of when you think of words royal? Royalty. Roy means king. So, and my mom always called me Roy, so I'm very comfortable with just Roy. Um, what's that? My kingship. Yeah. Well, you know, when I go into restaurants and they want to know my name, I always use the word king. Because it has, begins and ends with a hard consonant that I can hear. And when I give him the name Roy, that gets lost in the microphone with Floyd and Roy, you know, whatever. Um, so, but Roy works. You, you call me whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, does that work? Okay, I, 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 don't, I don't have any visions of grandeur. Um, so what do you call me? There you go, that's the first question. Um, what's the second question? Oh, the second question is, so you're going to be the pastor, don't use the I word, Uh, you're going to be the pastor, so what are you going to be doing? Well, I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be preaching on Sunday mornings. Um, The elders have encouraged me to feel free to invite others to come and fill this slot. Um, You're going to find uh, with me that's probably not going to happen very often. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna value this space, this time. I'm gonna value the role I have. Uh, I feel like as a pastor, there's a passage of scripture where Jesus said, "The sheep hear my voice and they follow me." And I feel like if I'm in this role as a shepherd, uh, you need to hear my voice. And so I'm not gonna be praying a whole bunch of people through here. Um, but there will be occasions when when that could happen. Um, 
so that's the first thing I'm going to be preaching on Sunday mornings. Um, I'm also going to be providing uh, leadership and direction to our staff, to Tim and to Lulu, as we work together as a team. Uh, we've met uh, kind of Tuesday afternoons as kind of our time slot to meet together and kind of talk and pray together. Um, so I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be leading the elders and the deacons in their ministries. And uh, they don't know it yet, but I've got some, some things in my head that are just spinning that I have in, in store for them. Uh, so pray for them. They're going to need a lot of prayer. Um, so I'm going to preach, I'm going to do staff, elders, deacons. Um, I'm going to be available to you in whatever way I can. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help. I think that's one of my spiritual gifts is I'm, I'm, I'm gifted to help. And so I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help in any way. I think when the elders first introduced me with this idea of that don't say the I word, Pastor. Um, that one of the things that was said was that I was going to be kind of available. On, it, it almost sounded, I don't know that the word emergency was used, but it almost sounded like that kind of, I, I, you know, if you're really desperate and everything else fails, call me. Um, I want you to understand my heart to your heart. That's not how I feel. Uh, I appreciate the elders wanting to kind of protect my time, my life, whatever. But I've been doing this pastor thing for almost 50 years, and I know it's never like that. Um, I was considered to be part-time in Alcaloma for 15 years. <laughs> and it's never part-time. Uh, and so I want you to know I'm available. You have my cell phone number. You have my email address in the bulletin, in the directory. Um, I'm available. And I want to hear what you're thinking, what questions you have as we go forward. Um, I, and I, I mean that sincerely. So, what do you call me? What am I going to be doing? Oh, my favorite question. My favorite, no, this isn't my favorite question. This is my, actually my least favorite question that I really wish I didn't have to answer, but I feel like I do. I've been asked several times, so why are we forming the church committee? Why don't you become our pastor? Why not you? And I appreciate the sentiment of that. I appreciate the heart behind that. I appreciate the, the love that's a part of that. But um, I have several answers to that question. My first answer is my age. I'm 70 years old. I do not believe our church needs a 70-year-old pastor. So my, my age is the first uh, my first answer to that question. One of my friends that I was sharing this with uh, last week, uh, Mark Mark Penfold, the retired Army chaplain, the colonel, uh, is a good friend of mine, and he's also a cyclist, and so we talk cycling stuff. But I was sharing with him why how I'm answering that question. He said, yeah, but you're the you're the healthiest, most active 70 year old I know. I said, well, that's fine, but. So my age, I think, is part of the answer to that. Um, at this point in my life, my second answer is desire. It's not something I desire to do. It's not something I want to do. And my wife won't like me saying this, but I, I feel compelled to say this. God has changed my desires every time I've made a move. I never wanted to leave Long Beach and go to Sacramento. I resisted and fought against that for months. I didn't want to leave Sacramento and go to Modesto. I fought against that for five years. I didn't want to leave Modesto and go to Laverne. God has a way, and, and if, if, if He wants 
at some point in time. I just don't see it. I don't see it. But that's not what I want to do today. So my age, my desire, um, the profile. I've written for myself a profile of what our next pastor should look like. And I check some of the boxes, but there's several I don't check that I think are really important. And my bottom line answer to the profile question is, and by the way, my profile doesn't matter. It's just kind of where my head is right now. Because we're going to involve you in that process of choosing what our next pastor is going to look like. We're preparing some surveys, some questionnaires that will give you the opportunity to give us feedback. What do you think is important? What matters to you? So we're going to involve you in that process. So my profile doesn't matter, but I do have one. Um, My conviction is this. If I was riding my bicycle, living in Laverne, and had not been here attending church every Sunday morning for the last two years, I would not be on your radar. You would not be sitting here as a church congregation this morning going, you know, there's this retired dude up in Laverne. He's only 70 years old. Yeah, he rides his bike a lot, but he'd be perfect. You wouldn't be sitting here having that conversation. You would, my name would not be on your radar. I'm convinced of that. So my age, my lack of desire, the, the profile, at least from my perspective of what I think we need. And then, honestly, my fourth, and I have a fifth that I just thought of. Um, in fact, I'll switch them and do number five, four. Uh, my distance from here, you know, I'm about 35 miles, 32, 33 miles away. It's about a 35-minute drive. I can almost ride my bike here faster on a Monday morning with the traffic. Um, I don't see that as a positive thing. It's not a, that big of a thing, but it's part of the equation. Um, but my wife is also one of my answers to the question. Uh, my wife's health is a challenge. It's one of the reasons she is not here. My wife has only been out of our house eight times, maybe, since March. I've taken her to the chiropractor every month, so that would be three or four times. Um, I'm going to take her this week to an eye doctor appointment. I took her to a tax appointment. But basically, she's at home. She's not going out of the house. She's not with people. She, She ticks three big boxes. She's 70 years old which I no longer think is being old, by the way. Um, but she's 70 years old. Um, she has asthma, so that has respiratory issues. And she has an autoimmune issue. And so in this COVID context, she's ticking three of the big boxes. And so she's not here. And my concern going forward is her condition isn't changing. Her, her, unless, unless God hears and answers our prayers, um, those conditions are going to continue. And so I appreciate the question. I appreciate the heart it's coming from. But I don't see myself as a candidate to be the next church. Is that fair? Somebody can say, yes, that's fair. Um, This is a time of change. It's going to be a time next of challenge and a time of choice that we're going to look at next Sunday because my time is gone. But let me share this with you. Um, This is a time of change and transition, right? Transition and change. I think I have a handle on what you're expecting from me. I think I have a handle on that. 
Um, if I need clarity, then you let me know. But I've shared with you what I see my role as, as I understand it. So what I want to share with you in this five minutes is, what's your role? I think it's fair that I, I have some expectations um, of what your role is going to be. And so I, I've summarized this in three words. The first word is pray. Pray. I'm calling you to pray. Um, I shared with you, I think in my letter I sent out a week or two ago, um, that I believe God is calling me to fast as a part of this praying for our church and for our church's future. Um, I'm choosing to fast one day a week and to use mealtimes especially for prayer. And I suggested that for you, maybe skipping meals is not a good plan. Uh, physically not something you can do, your health, whatever. But find something else you can skip and replace with a time of prayer. TV jumps to my mind real quick. Can you give up one 30-minute TV program this week and use that 30 minutes to pray? Somebody say, yes, I can do that. Uh, so I, I, I'm calling you to pray. When you pray for, for our church, pray for our newly being formed search team, pray for me, pray, begin now praying for our future pastor. That God would be preparing him and preparing his heart. He prayed. Um, you can pray for me as part of what I told you I was going to call PRPT, Pastor Roy's Prayer Team. And I've had, counting my wife, ten of you respond and say, I want to be part of that team. And to those ten people, I sent an email last Monday or a couple of you on Tuesday, because you came on board Tuesday sometime. Um, and in addition to those ten people, one of my wife's prayer partners, Wanda, in North Carolina is praying. And my almost nine-year-old granddaughter in North Carolina is praying as a part of my prayer team. Uh, there's room for others. I'll send an email once a week if I can get my act together and tell you what I'm hoping you'll pray for. But we need to be a praying church. And if nothing else, if we learn nothing else from Pastor Rick over the last few years, we should have picked that up, right? We should have picked that up. We need to be a praying church. Pray for me. Pray for our church, the search committee. Um, I invite you to join me in prayer on Sunday morning. Fifteen minutes before we start our service here, I'm going to be in that little room right there praying. And uh, I'd love to have several of you come and join me if you wish. Pray for our service. Pray for God's word as it goes forth. We must pray. It's imperative. We must pray. If, if, if we're not praying, we shouldn't be expect God to be working. I'm sorry, that's how it works. If we're not asking, He's not giving. Now, that's not 100% true, because we have a gracious God who even gives to us when we don't ask. Aren't you glad for that? I am. He even gives for us when we, when we but we need to be praying people. Um, the second thing I want to say, the second word I want to say, what am I hoping, praying, and expecting, is not only pray, but serve. I'm looking, expecting, anticipating that people will serve. I'm not asking you to serve me. I'm not even asking you to serve the church, although that's a part of it. I'm asking you to serve Jesus. 
tragically and sadly, the average person in the average church in America today doesn't come with a mindset of service. They come with a mindset of serve us. And the average Christian in the average church in America today is looking for what's in it for me. They are consumers who include church in their consumption in their average week. And the question is always, what's in it for me? What service can you provide for me? Serve us. And there's a place where the church ought to be serving you, right? There's a place where that happens and a place where that's true. But our hearts ought to be, Jesus, how and where can I serve you? That ought to be our hearts. And I'm grateful as a part of this church. I I see that heart in so many of you. Um, Ask God where you can use your gifts, your talents, your abilities to advance His kingdom. You know, right now we don't need much help with our ushers, but we will in the future. There's a place of service. Not, not too difficult, not too challenging, but uh, it's, a, it's a vital, critical place in our ministry, and they're going to discover the longer I'm here how much more vital I think it's going to become. Um, we need help here in this space with set up and tear down. I came here um, early this morning just because I felt like I wanted to be here early this morning. There were three guys here setting all this up. All the chairs, all the equipment, all the easy-ups, all the cables, everything. Three guys. And I just want to believe in my heart of hearts that there's just a few more that can come help. Is that fair? You don't have to do it every single week, but if you talk to Tim or Habib, they can tell you what they need. I don't know what they need. I just kept asking them this morning, how can I help, how can I help, how can I help? They just need two or three more people to come and say, how can I help? Um, worship team. You know, we, we lost one of our vocalists. Brenda's gone. Um, there's always room, I think, for someone that has musical ability. I don't know about you, but one of my current requests every week is that Jessica would get back there with her saxophone. You know, that's the only reason. That's the only reason I stayed here at the church with Jessica and her saxophone. I would have been gone long before. You know, I, yeah, I love Jessica and her sax. She's just, she's just amazing. But we need help with sound, with camera, with lighting. Um, talk to talk to Tim. Talk to Max and Maggie about worship team. Uh, our children's ministry. You know, Brenda was leading our children's ministry. And right now, we don't have a children's ministry, but we want to, right? We want to re-engage that on Sunday mornings and midweek as well. Uh, how are we going to do that? Where are we going to go? Who's going to lead it? I have not a clue. Um, we have three what I call ministry task forces. We have an outreach task force that Vet Gonzalez leads, along with others alongside of them. Vet, I got some stuff I'm thinking about that I need to talk to you about, and you may or may not want to hear it, but I want to talk to you sometime this week. Uh, I just think there's some good stuff ahead for that group as they lead us in outreach, and there's some stuff we... Anyway, uh, me and Vet will talk. Uh, Victor Pierce leads our care ministry and uh, doing a great job caring for people. Um, there's probably more we can do. We can always do better, in my view. That they're doing a great job. Um, I shared with my my ten person per team this week. I asked them to pray 
for Rory Todd and the Todd family and Rich and Claudia and one of the members of my prayer team is a part of uh, the care committee and uh, Nancy texted me and said would it be okay if we sent some flowers to Pastor Richard and his wife you know, let's just say hey we care we're praying for you and uh, I, you know, that's not something I asked for I think Richard thought I did but nope not me I'm the thoughtless one you know thank, thank the thoughtful people uh, I'm just grateful for people that think that way we have a fellowship group a fellowship committee that Eddie Morales leads and uh, there's all kinds of stuff that we could be doing um, we talked to Eddie this last week about maybe doing another movie night before the Anyway, there's just so much more we could be doing. My head's full of stuff. But we, we need people that will serve. We need people that are help. Um, there's all kinds of new opportunities, new ministries. I've got stuff that I'm thinking about. I'm driving Tim crazy with all my ideas and stuff. And I'm trying to be careful not to scare you. Although if I scared you and you made me go ride my bike instead of doing this, I guess it would be a win-win for me. In my heart of hearts... I believe, I've talked too long, I'm sorry, I'll leave that in a couple minutes. In my heart of hearts, I believe that we could be making a difference in the city of Norwalk. I believe that a, a church that is committed to making a difference in their, in their city, in their community, can do it. It doesn't matter for a group of 50, a group of 100, a group of 200, a group of 4,000. It doesn't matter. We can make a difference in the city of Norwalk. And I want the city of Norwalk to know we're here. I want people to know that this is a place that people love their city and they want to make a difference. And we're going to talk about that some more. I, I'm going to get wound up here and you want to... So I want you to pray. I want you to serve. And I'll say, I expect you to pray. I expect you to serve. And then my third word is surrender. I want you to surrender. I expect you to surrender. Pastor Rick chose that as kind of the theme for our year. And that verse in Romans 12, because of the mercies of God, that you would, you would surrender yourselves. I'm not asking you to surrender yourself to me. I'm not asking you to surrender yourself to our elders. I'm not asking you to surrender yourself to our church. I'm asking you to surrender yourself to Jesus. And the question and my prayer have been, and, and where, where I want you to be, is Jesus, what do you want for this church? doesn't matter what Roy wants. It doesn't matter what Roy wants. Roy has a list. I know what Roy wants. But it doesn't matter what Roy wants. And I'm sorry, but it doesn't matter what you want until until you want what Jesus wants. Because it does matter what you want. I care about that. Like I said, I want to hear from you. We're going to take some surveys and questionnaires. But it doesn't matter what you and I want until we want what Jesus wants. And if you want what Jesus wants, and if you want what Jesus wants, and if you want what Jesus wants, and I want what Jesus wants, we're going to be ahead of the game. Does that make sense? And so I'm asking you to surrender to Jesus, not to me, not to the elders. What does Jesus want? I'm asking you to surrender to the Scriptures. Not to the church, not to tradition, not to the way we've always done it. But what do the Scriptures say? And one of the things you're going to learn from me, if you haven't figured it out yet, 
if you if you were to come to me tomorrow with some kind of a challenge and, and difficulty in your life you're wrestling with and, and you're looking for counsel and help, what you're going to discover from me is one of the questions I'm going to ask is, what does the Bible say about this? That's always going to be the question I ask. What does the Bible say about this? And that, that drives some people crazy. It truly does. I had a woman come to me several years ago, and she said, I, I've had it, I'm up to here in my marriage, I'm, I'm going to leave my husband, but I thought before I did that, I'd come and talk to you. <laughs> talk about pressure. <laughs> and I said, well, let's, let's look at the scriptures and see what the scripture says. And I opened my Bible in the book of Genesis, and read a passage in Genesis 2, and went to the Proverbs, and read a couple of Proverbs, went to the New Testament, and some of the things that the Apostle Paul said, and... I closed my Bible and all I did was read scripture. No commentary. I just read scripture and then I lifted my eyes up and she said to me these words. That's not what I wanted to hear. (laughs) That's what you're going to get from me. Uh, Without apology, that's what you're going to get from me. We need to surrender to Jesus. We need to surrender to the scriptures. And then we need to surrender to the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. If God's Spirit is not in charge... If God's Spirit does not lead us, if we're not surrendered to Him and to His leading, we might as well quit and go off. This is not a social club. This is not a business. And we don't operate like a social club. We don't operate like a business, I hope. This is a family. We are family. First and foremost, we are a family. And so together... As a family, we're going to surrender to Jesus, we're going to surrender to the Word of God, and we're going to surrender to His Holy Spirit. And if if that's not the path you want to travel, then get yourself another, don't say the I word, pastor, okay? Because that's that's who I am. That's who I am. And so we're going to go forward on an adventure. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. might be risky. might be dangerous. It might be scary. We might go to places unknown, unexpected, unanticipated. But we have a a mighty God who's going to lead us and be our guide and our director. And if we don't look to Him and trust Him and follow Him, we might as well just close the doors and go home. I set out on an adventure summer a year ago, summer of 2019, with three of my friends. We had been talking and praying and planning about doing a ride on the coast of Oregon. And thankfully, my good friend, Dr. Don Lawrence, who's a retired professor from Azusa Pacific University with a background in outdoor recreation, PE, he's a PE teacher, a soccer coach. And uh, Don had led numerous bike tours. And so Don was kind of our guide and our leader, and he helped us plan the trip and all the details. And I I had no clue. Uh, Where are we going to sleep at night? Where are we going to stay? Where are we going to find food? I had not a clue. But Don was the leader. And I trusted Don. I was ready to follow Don. And we took off and went to Oregon and started our ride. And uh, I'll tell you what, there were some scary times. If you want to really get your heart rate pumping, get yourself on a bicycle crossing the Coos Bay Bridge in Coos Bay, Oregon. With rush hour traffic going by two lanes at full speed, 60 plus miles an hour, a mere inches because my heart rate going just thinking about it. But we, I trusted the leader. I trusted the guy. 
we need to trust the Holy Spirit to guide us. We experienced all kinds of unexpected, unexpected stuff. The next to last day of our trip, my friend Fred, who just had his 80th birthday on Friday, uh, on a, the last night of our trip, Fred went into AFib. And uh, we took him to the hospital and we wound up cutting our ride short and going home a day early. But we encountered all these challenges, all these difficulties. It was fun and exciting, but it was also hazardous and risky. And what gave me confidence in the process was I had confidence in the one who was guiding us. And if we do not have confidence in God the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us, and if we're not open and willing to follow His direction, then we're in trouble. Our adventure is doomed from the first day. So here's my question for you this morning. You want to go on an adventure? That's what God's calling us to. Lord, I'm excited at the future before us. Um, I'm a little intimidated with the task that's been placed into my hands. I'm a little overwhelmed. No, that's not true, Lord. I'm very overwhelmed at what's been placed in my hands. But I'm grateful for the privilege. I'm grateful for the trust and confidence of this this group of your people. I'm grateful that you have brought me here in your providence. Um, I've had so many of my friends tell me they're glad I'm here. They're glad that you've planned this, that I would be here. Um, And so, Lord, I'm grateful that in your providence you've brought us to this place and that we're on the threshold of an adventure. I'm grateful for the ministry that Rick and Brenda have had in our midst. I'm grateful that they've helped us through a time of healing, a time of renewal, a time of restoration. They've brought us under your guidance and under your direction to this day. And so, Lord, as we launch out on this journey, I circle back to the 123rd Psalm. Lord, be gracious to us. Lord, be gracious to us. We need you. We need you to lead us. We need you to guide us. Give us open minds, open hearts, open hands to be people who will pray, people who will serve, people who will surrender. Lord, give us hearts to do that is my prayer as we trust you together in Jesus' name. Amen.
picture, right? As you go into the week ahead of us, go in the spirit of adventure and go under the direction and the guidance of God's Holy Spirit. Pray, serve, surrender. That's what God's calling us to in this adventure. And be asking yourself, in the neighborhood in which you live, the place where you work, how can God use you in the place He's put you in to advance His kingdom as we pray, as we serve, as we surrender? Will you do that? God wants to bless you and He wants to bless your week. Go in His power. Go in the power of God's Holy Spirit, my friend. Have a great week.